tap it in. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to episode number five of the Big Players Only Podcast, month one under our belt, and we are really hitting our stride. More and more content coming to you each and every day. But if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram. Find us at Big Players Only Pod. Our story is always up to date with the most breaking news and fun stuff going on in golf. A link in the bio to go join our Facebook community. We'll be more engaging over there. And then against better judgment, we're also starting a TikTok. So that should be fun. Got a full room for you tonight. Myself, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny One Putt. Lots to unpack with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Scotty Scheffler bringing home the title at a measly five under par after four rounds. That sounds like a major championship score. Well, round four scoring was pretty much like that. Lots of comments from lots of players talking about how tough the conditions were. Lots to talk about there. And then we'll recap our picks, which were incredibly good this week. Some long shots that were even in contention. So a really great week for us. As we head into the players at TPC Sawgrass, we'll break down the course, the purse, the field, uh, biggest purse in golf, the best field in golf, the fifth major, really always proves to be an amazing tournament. We'll finish out the episode talking about golf tech and if the driver or the golf ball or whatever aspect of golf needs to be reeled back in because these guys are hitting the ball further, they're spinning it more, they're making the courses look easier, um, or do we just not do that and let courses like this week at Bay Hill grow the rough out and make the greens hard, and that's how we combat it. we got lots of good statistics to talk about with driving distance, and we'll talk about other sports too, like what did they do uh, when technology started to get out of hand. So it should be a great episode. Thanks for being here. Let's have a good one. Coming off the heels of the Arnold Palmer Invitational, some pretty crazy course conditions. Tully, give us a recap. Yeah, I mean, what a tournament. You know, We were lucky enough to all get together to watch it at uh, one of our local breweries here in Frederick at Attaboy. And Shout out Attaboy. Yeah, it was, we had a great time. It was you know, a great way to kind of watch all that you know, just carnage, really, kind of we saw you know, in that final round. Friend of the pod, Scotty Scheffler, managed to outlast the field. Like I said, it was a brutal Sunday where the scoring average was – uh, I saw it was like 75 and a half or so, which is about five shots higher than any other tournament this season, including the Honda Classic last week, where, you know, everyone always talks about how just ridiculously, you know, difficult that is. Oh, the bear trap. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, this, you know, proved to be seemingly even more challenging for the best players in the world. You know, good for Scotty here. You know, we've obviously big fan of him on this pod. Colin picked him, you know, back on the waste management. Somebody else on this, you know, this podcast picked him for this week. We'll talk about that. Winner, winner. We got a winner in our presence. Apparently, we're big Scotty guys here. You know, this is now his second win um, and the top 10 finish in his last three tournaments. You know, waste management, Genesis, and now this. Uh, I mean, Tyler mentioned it last year. I think it's the year of Scotty. I think we're saying move over George Cassani. It's the summer of Scotty. I don't know. I mean, I I don't think... You know, Jason Alexander can handle it. Winning at, yeah, winning here at Bay Hill and then playing well at Riviera, those are two of the top 10 or 20, probably top 10 hardest courses in America. It's pretty impressive. 
Yeah, but rounding out the uh, top 10 there, we had Tyrrell Hatton, another pick from the boys. Victor Hovland, yet another pick from the boys. Uh, Billy Horschel, Gary Woodland, Chris Kirk, Lucas Herbert, Taylor Gooch, Sam Burns, and a personal favorite, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, I mean, it's just, like I said, all around, it was a hell of a tournament. Some some interesting storylines we got coming out of there. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that, you know, I've been seeing and, you know, hearing a lot about is Rory McIlroy. Uh, you know, he started hot, you know, for yet again at Bay Hill. For the last, you know, few years, he's gone 65, 66, and 66. But much like the same trend of starting hot, he's you know, seems to just kind of fall off in the later rounds. And he's kind of expressed a lot of uh, frustrations with, the uh, the tournament as a whole, you know, he came out saying, you know, how over the weekend it was you know, too hard. You know, he was getting penit- you know, penalized for hitting great shots. You know, regardless of you know what he could do, you know, it didn't, didn't really matter. Kind of situations how he was felt, and that it was you know almost like a knock to his confidence when he's out there making kind of a struggle. And you know, I think we're going to talk about you know some of this, you know, how the, the equipment, the courses, all that kind of stuff later. But you know, how does the room feel about these comments from Roy? You know, is he more of a is it justified? Is it kind of an overreaction for him? What are we thinking? Yeah, I, I never really liked those types of comments because my thought is everybody's playing the same course. It, it doesn't matter to me what your final score is. It's like you got to be the best golfer on that course that week. So for Rory to just sit there and complain about how tough the course is, you've got 100 other guys who aren't there standing in front of the press complaining about how hard it is. Yeah, they might be thinking it, but go out there, perform, and do your best and try to win. Yeah, I mean, I think Rory definitely wears his emotions on his sleeve. I think that the comment is that quite a majority of the players probably felt the same way. I will say that the one thing about making the course borderline impossible on Sunday is that you give less of a chance to the field to catch up to the leaders. In this case, it was a battle of attrition. So I think the top 10 pretty much remained pretty similar to what it was going into the round. So I guess I like the course being tough on Sunday, but also like it, like, like Rory says, rewarding good shots and allowing a guy to go out early and shoot eight under. Yeah, that was one of the general trends of watching the final round here is you saw guys hit great shots, landed a couple feet from the hole, and it just rolls out right into the rough. And so I'm all about seeing this carnage, on a, especially on a Sunday, and seeing high scores, but it's tough when if you're not hitting the ball well or if you're hitting it great, you're still going to end up in the same spots because those greens were rock hard. They were fast as lightning. The fairways were rolling out, so you hit one in the fairway, it's going to roll into the rough. The rough was ankle deep, so... It is a tough golf course, but they definitely set it up trying to create exactly what happened on Sunday where you were just trying to survive out there and, and make the fewest amount of bogeys throughout the day. Yeah, to me, it looked like the biggest X factor out there was one, the length of the rough, two, the win, and three, the fact that a lot of these second shots, you had to clear water. Yeah, I mean, that's always, you know, I know for us as you know normal golfers, you know, clearing water is just always intimidating. But you know, for these guys, I feel like, you know, like Tyler said, they know what's out there. They've been playing the same course for you know at least three rounds at this point, plus whatever they did practice wise, plus if they've played the tournament before, they know how the course generally plays. They know where they should and shouldn't hit it. You know, they know where the good miss is, all that kind of stuff. I kind of feel like you know it's totally justified. You know, it feels like you know, these guys get really pissed off just because they're not going out there shooting 65, 66 every time. So when they two over is a good score, they're just you know they're really unhappy about it. It just kind of feels you know a little ridiculous. But you had guys like Hatton, my boy, and I think Lucas er- Haybear, Herbert, Her- Herbert. Yeah. yeah, I mean Hatton shot three under and Herbert shot four under, so it's not Im- it wasn't impossible on Sunday. It was just difficult. Yeah, one of the interesting comments I saw come out after this round was the average scratch golfer would go out there and shoot well in the nineties under those same conditions. Just crazy, and talking about a testament to how difficult it was playing that day. 
You know, I, I think, obviously, I love Rory. He's like my favorite golfer. but And I think that his thoughts are shared by a lot. I also read a statistic that said the Greens were running about a 14 and a half by the end of the, of the final round, which is just, that's ridiculous. Like, that's just too fast. That's why you shouldn't play in Florida. It's too damn hot. Well, especially on those par threes that are all like 200 plus yards just to get it to land and stop by the hole is basically impossible. Yeah, like I'll give Scotty a lot of props because on the 16th hole, the par five, he drives it right. He's got his feet in the bunker, ball above his feet. He he tries to hack out into the fairway to lay up. Doesn't quite get there. He's got another juicy lie. So I think, and then he what he does there is he lays up again and then gets up and down for par from like 60, 70 yards. So I think it's just a, a big kudos to Scotty because I think he was one of the few that realized what was going on. And then on 17, the par three puts it to 40 feet, 18 puts in the rough, puts it out safe side of the green, 80 feet tap in par. Like he did what he needed to do to win. When I think a lot of these guys aren't, they weren't super comfortable with conforming to the course. They wanted the course to play to them. Exactly. So I think it's, you know, we'll talk about, I think a little bit more later as we talk about, you know, some golf equipment kind of things, but I think, you know, it's a matter of the players adjusting to what they know the course is trying to do. But, you know, moving on here, uh, some other kind of big storylines, I thought. Uh, we had some interesting comments uh, allegedly from John Rahm, courtesy of Pat Perez, you know, claiming that you know, he's not going to retire until he's won 19 majors. You know, that it would be uh, one more than Jack. Uh, and hopefully you know, not, you know, it doesn't manage to catch Tiger. Hopefully Tiger wins a couple more, in my personal opinion. But, you know, he ended up not having a bad week, but, you know, not, not quite living up to the hype of being the you know number one you know odds getter for the every tournament he's in. Um, any guys' thoughts there? You guys think John Rom can pull that off? How many does he have now? No, one, just one, right? Not happening, John. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah, he's got a second kid on the way. Hard to tell how long he's going to be able to play, and and the field is just so different nowadays. We have so many elite golfers who can go out there and go toe to toe with one another. The days of a Jack Nicholas dominating, Tiger Woods dominating for, for long stretches of time, I think are just behind us with, with how solid of golfers we have out there. Let's play a game. What, where would you set the over-under at for majors for Rom? I'll, I'll put it at six and a half career. I'll take the under. I mean, I think I'll take the over. He's, he's got easily one of the best, most well-rounded games in the world. I think his putter can elude him sometimes, but uh, I mean... They don't. They don't really make ball strikers like John Rahm. I mean, his short and compact swing. He's he's certainly not playing that well over the past few weeks. But he started off the year pretty good. Um, I think he'll be well and in, probably into the double digits. Really, I don't. I don't think we're going to see another double digit major winner for a long time. I think it, you have to ask yourself. Um, I think is he going to be able to learn Augusta? Because if he can learn Augusta, I think he can get there. Because that's a course that no matter how good you are, it's all about experience. Like, I think you go to a lot of these U.S. Open courses, it's like that battle of attrition, but if he can learn how to play Augusta, he can win four times there easy. Well, I, th- I think it's similar to, like, uh, let's say, uh, no pitcher's going to win 300 games anymore, right? It's just one of those things that just doesn't, is not going to happen. I, I don't think, like, who, I, I, I don't think, if someone is capable, it's probably Ron, but is anyone going to get more than 10 ever? I mean, it, Again, I mean, I think I think <laughs> Murakawa, Murakawa probably has your best odds, um, but I don't know. I think twelve is probably a hard cap. Something like nineteen. I mean, he you knows just he's just speaking kind of like you know he's just saying that. Kind yeah, of, I mean, they have to have that. I'm just I right? am curious like what the um I don't know what the number is on some of these guys. It'd be a fun game to play. So that, should, that could be a whole podcast sometime. Yeah, it would be interesting. Maybe over under majors for the top ten contenders or the top ten guys or whatever. I mean, yeah. Look at Rory. I think Rory. What does Rory have? Like six? six seven, I think. And I mean, he sets the bar pretty high for talent. So that's true. And it's like life events too. Like, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to think about, but John Ron with one, one kid and another kid on the way, like 
life certainly gets in the way. And I know follow Rory pretty closely. And, and when he had his daughter, like his game took a little bit of a dip for a good six months and he's still kind of trying to fight back. I love John Rob. I think it, it is probably more of a comment made and, you know, he wants to have that mentality of a winner sort of situation, but it's a bold claim. And it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of back that up. I will say one thing that Rom has going for him within the past year or so is he seems to be getting that temper under control. I think that held him back before, and I think he's starting to turn a corner with that. You know, I was actually, so my mom. Me, not so much. <laughs> so my mom shares the same love for Rory that I do. So whenever we can talk about Rory, we do. And I was mentioning to her about how he snapped his wedge in the final round. And I said, I'm, I'm starting to see a trend here in that, when guys get mad and show their frustration, you don't first think like, oh, they have anger issues. You'd like to think that they're doing that is a like a building moment so they can get better, right, and learn from their mistakes. And it just seems like this temper is over is overrunneth for Rory, and it just isn't leading to better results. Overrunneth. Yes. Nice. nice. <laughs> Colin, also, I want to just comment. I don't think I've ever seen you with much of a temper on the golf course. It's more of just a mental weakness and just like depression. Oh! Weakness? Can we talk about your you were very grumpy on the golf course, and it wasn't so anger. Set the stage. Ben, set the stage. Tully and Colin played together last week, right? Well, I think that we get into this right Colin now? and Rory probably share the same trait. Is like you got to be able to use it constructively, and if it if it takes you down, it's just going to make you worse. So using it constructively is key. Yes, we are overrunneth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other other kind of you know, interesting thing we saw was you know. In the early, I don't know if he ended up using it all all tournament. It was just round one, I just think. Just round one. And he shot his best round. He yeah. shot like four under. Yeah, Adam Scott you know, started out the tournament playing without a driver instead of using a 13-degree two-wood. And he was quoted, you know, he was complaining that his accuracy with the driver as the big reason he wanted to do it. And he was worried that if he had the driver in his bag, he'd be trying to keep up with Rory, who's, you know, as we all know, just an unbelievable driver of the ball. And I saw something that after that first round, using that, he was still, in terms of like shots gained off off the tee and all that kind of inaccuracy, he was in the bottom quarter of with, 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 the, three with wood. the three wood. Wow. Yeah, he still was just not accurate. He just was spraying it. But like you just mentioned, it was his best round. And he he made the cut. He still you know, performed solid, you know, especially when you know five or five under is only what one. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was just kind of interesting to see that technique. I don't think anybody hears. One to you know put the driver away, but it's a mental thing too. You know you have to worry about you have to think about what mentally he's not his driver appears to be such heavy baggage on his shoulders. So taking it out, even though he didn't drive the ball particularly well with his three wood, he's like he's, he seems less stressed. Yeah, I mean the flip side of that though is I mean I, this is mental weakness. You look at your first and second round pairing, and you're just like, man, I'm playing with Rory. I don't want to get tempted into trying to overswing my driver. I don't have confidence in it. I'm just going to keep it at home and use this two wood and and play it safe and not try and try and outdo Rory. It is a pretty funny. So Adam Scott, like a year ago, this this golf shaft company came up with a, a shaft called the Autoflex. It's like pink. I don't know if you guys have seen it. And it's like it's like this new driver flex technology that's like it's not stiff, it's not extra stiff, it's not I don't know what it what it does specifically, but it can add like crazy distance to a golfer's drives and Adam Scott put it in the bag and really started to like he's classically like one of the best drivers of the golf ball in the world. Like not super long, but just so good. And uh, I think it it'll build on our discussion later about how these guys are chasing distance and how it might actually be hurting their game. I think Adam Scott's a perfect example. Yeah, that's kind of what really why I wanted to put it in here was, you know, we're going to be talking about that other stuff, and it's interesting how with all the technology that is in golf, you know, and it's all so much focused around the driver, that we're pulling the driver out. Like, for him, this is kind of a bold move. Yeah, so Ken just pulled up the shaft. The shafts are going for $790 right now. And they're really, like, pretty cool technology, but, like, for Adam Scott, 
as a door bro, I'm not sure that was the right move for him. And then also Ken puts a note here that he needs to buy a two wood. Yeah, I'm going to be in the market for that. <laughs> Didn't know they existed, actually, <laughs> until right now. Got five Custom wood, three wood, Custom might as well get a two. <laughs> nice. Okay, other events that happened this week. The HSBC Women's World Champion Championship, Jin Young Ko, sets many records. Uh, dominantly is the number one golfer in the world, wins another tournament. Uh, what are our thoughts, boys? I love to see it. I, I mean, I've said it before. You know, I haven't been great about following the LPGA Tour, but, you know, with this podcast and everything, I've kind of started to focus in on it. We're monitoring it and all throughout. It kind of sucked that, you know, as we're starting to really kind of dive into the LPGA, that it was overseas where it wasn't starting until like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. But I thought it was really kind of cool just to monitor, watch, see the highlights. There was some, she was hitting some pretty ridiculous shots. I think she was the one that was standing in the water in that one hole. Oh, that was Lydia. Was it Lydia? Lydia, yeah. Okay. yeah there was just so many like cool shots that, you know, I don't really get the attention that they deserve, it feels like. Right. But, I, I, you know, it was, it was a fun tournament to kind of pay attention to and catch up on. Yeah, definitely a name you want to pay attention to. She's been really dominating the LPGA here in, in the recent form that she's been in. And I, I forget exactly what the stat is, but it's something outrageous, like how many straight rounds she's played in the 60s or something like that. And it's just, it's just phenomenal to see somebody dominate like that. Yeah, so she shoots her 15th straight round in the 60s and then – Coming into the tournament off of her win uh, late fall, uh, she came in hitting 63 straight greens in regulation. So that was like, what is that? Like three and a half, her final three and a half rounds of her last tournament, she never missed a green. She hits her first three greens. Um, and then kind of ironically on the fourth hole is like 130 yard par four or par three. And she chunks it like 100 yards. Like it, was just, it was just like quite an anticlimactic end to that. But 66 greens in regulation in a row. The most Tiger ever had in his incredible career was 20. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it was 20, her, 28 of her last 29 rounds, two were in the 60s. There was like 171 in yeah. there. It was crazy. Like, what's the benchmark for this group? You hit two greens in a row and you're feeling ecstatic? Or, you know, we're going higher than that? One. One's pretty good. <laughs> we'll start with one. <laughs> Me? I Yeah, record all time, probably three in a row. That's ben. a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Three par threes in a row? Yeah, chipping across the <laughs> same green three, three times. Three Doesn't greens count. in reg in a row. I think, ladies' tees. Is it? Is this that uh, alleged eighty-eight that you shot? I'll do it next time I golf. <coughs> oh, bold call! Wow. Three in a row. Monitor the it. Instagram, folks. We'll we'll keep track of Ken's greens and rig. Nice. Well, let's jump back to the Arnold Palmer. Let's recap our picks for this week. Uh, just an incredible week for the boys. We had a winner in our midst. Tyler, let's get a recap. Yeah, like Tully was saying earlier, we had a great showing uh, for the picks for the boys. Um, obviously, I got to start it off with myself. We said it. Last week, wow. we said it last week. This is the year of Scotty. We had Scotty at plus eighteen hundred to win this tournament, and sure enough, he went out there and got it. Um, we actually had really good showing. We had two second place finishes as well. Um, we had Colin with Tyrrell Hatton making a nice charge in round four, um, and then Ken with Victor Hovland once again. Ken with Victor Hovland at plus sixteen hundred didn't quite pull it out. But they had an awesome finish between the three of them. Let's start with Colin. Colin, what are your thoughts on Tyrrell's round? Yeah, so Tyrrell, once again this year, shot four under. I believe that's the score he had when he won two years ago. Um, the Saturday round just killed killed him. I didn't see it, but he must have been spraying that thing all over the course, much like Tully and I were on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, six over on Saturday, I mean, you crank that back to five over, and, I mean, he's tied for the lead. We're going into a playoff on Sunday. So a strong finish for Tyrrell, but uh, he's just got to clean up some mistakes, and he's going to be at the top again, no problem. Yeah, I can believe that. He, he looked great that final round. Ken, Victor, so close. 36-hole leader, right? So close, but probably like, 
54 47 hole leader. leader. Well, he was like 54 hole leader. Was he seven? No, seven Close. was. Yeah, seven was um was Horschel and Gooch. I've had the had, sa- I've had the Saturday runaway leader by four strokes the last two with Berger and uh, Hovland back. He was I think Vic was at minus eleven, at minus ten or minus eleven at some point. Yeah, during the second round. Yep. And you, it's it's crazy to see the the winning score come back six strokes from that. I mean, I gosh, I I, I don't know. I, Best golfers in the world. I think that Rory has something there. That is kind of crazy to think about. At some point, the tournament was at eleven under and it finished at five. He just seemed frustrated. I mean, he was probably just like a lot of guys at that. He was he was trying his best, but there was just nothing. There was no chance to make a big shot. I mean, I give props off to Hat, or props to Hatton and people that went minus three, minus four. I mean, there was just not a big chance to make an eagle or make a birdie out there. So, you know, I'll ride my boy Vic for a little while. Uh, actually, I'm not going to pick him this week, but <gasps> I'll, I'll be back on him. I'll be back on him uh, next week. I think we'll see. Big pattern guy out of Ken. Yeah, I got, I got, I got I my horses and I ride them, all right? I got to rest them occasionally. Okay? Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, he this was a cowboy in college. Sorry. <laughs> this performance by Vic was really interesting. I mean, we look at him as a top two, three player in the world, but his short game, as it usually does, really let him down on Sunday. I mean, he hit some very poor sand shots and pitch yeah, shots in the final yeah. round and made a lot of bogeys as a result. He's like 198 in sand saves. Not good. <laughs> sand saves, very important. Stat. Yeah, it's tough. He, I mean, a couple of times he had it out of the sand right by the hole, and he went, like, way over the other side and had just three putt or something. It was bad. Yeah, yeah. there were some brutal uh, lies for the sand shots we saw in those last couple holes. Agreed. I'm, I'm in a feud now with Tyler over this, though, because we watched it together on Sunday, and my ghost beer broke on me, and I had to go. <laughs> my, my beer just flew. It was a sign. My it beer was slid co- off the table, Tyler. broke, and I had to go dry my Tyler shirt did it with his big a, brain yeah for like 10 minutes in the so anyway that i, I blame the ghosts of attaboy no offense attaboy <laughs> i don't think attaboy had anything to do with it i think mm-hmm. it was just the year of scotty there's Cut just some things you can't control uh but let's just jump to our next one here uh telly had another good week uh ninth place finish for matt fitzpatrick uh i know you've been wanting to pick him for a few weeks now he did he didn't disappoint didn't pull out the win but a top 10 is pretty impressive what did you see from him yeah i mean i was thrilled to see him out there i mean I, I like how you say I had another good week. I definitely missed the cut last week with my pick, but uh, we'll avoid that conversation for another day. But uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, you know, he kind of he didn't do anything crazy, but he just kind of he stayed relevant is what it really was. His worst round was, you know, he had two rounds at 73, and then he had a one-under round and a two-under round, which it really, like kind of been mentioned earlier, it was a you know game of attrition you know this week. So by just never blowing up, he was able to just backdoor a top 10 kind of thing. Which I think he gets his button in line uh, this past week. I think he would have definitely been up there with the rest of them. Yeah, for sure. And then um, let's move it on to Dub. Dub, you had to feel awesome after week, week or round one Reed. with I was trying to say Reed. Rory, and Reed. then I got too many things going on. Uh, but with Rory going seven under after round one, how good did you feel then? And then flip of that, how did you feel towards the end as things kind of unraveled? Yeah, I mean, I was already spending the money from that from that victory. I mean, I was just so excited. He's got a two three shot lead. He was unflappable. He was just knocking down pins, a com- playing a completely different golf course than the rest of them. So the rest of the weekend, just to watch him unravel, it was brutal. Especially, you know, has that first round lead and ends up thirteenth and you know second to last of the picks that we had. So really disappointed. The putter let him down. Obviously, we talked about his comments. He complained a lot about the course setup. So. Yeah, tough week for Rory here after round one. I do think with Rory's putter, it's really good when he was ahead, but when he needs to make up strokes with it, he can really struggle. Same. I also have that issue. <laughs> like all of us. 
And then to wrap up the picks, um, seems to be somewhat of a common theme uh, coming Ben last. Um, Hideki, hey, 20th. Hideki again. And DraftKings. And DraftKings. Wow. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah, coming to Ben, uh, Hideki at plus 2,000. Finished 20th. It's, it's a pretty good finish, but what, what do you think about Hideki's game? He's just not quite getting there right now. Yeah, Hideki didn't make a ton of birdies the first three rounds. I don't think he played that bad, but he just, uh, his putter, I think he, he can just be kind of hot and cold. Um, he had a good final round, kind of like, Tyrell and, and Matt Fitzpatrick kind of backdoored at top 20 here. I think he actually shot a couple under in the final round when uh, the front nine was kind of eating him alive all week. Yeah, that's, that concludes our, our last week's picks at the Arnold Palmer. Uh, and here in a few minutes, we'll be chatting about this week's pick for the players. Uh, any final thoughts for anybody? I do want to give a quick shout-out to Ben on his uh, long shot from last week. He had Chris Kirk at plus 7,500 to win. Bermuda. The Bermuda guy. He didn't win, but tied for fifth is pretty damn good. Much better than his actual top 10 you know, favorite pick went. So. Now, he's a bulldog, right? What the <laughs> hell does that mean? <laughs> What's what a bulldog? the hell is a bulldog? I'll tell you, uh, Chris Kirk really surprised me this week. He putted very well. I think coming down the stretch, that par 5 16th, he's in the first cut. He's got a real good chance to get that thing on the green, make an eagle, make a birdie. He could walk away with the win in this tournament. He flares out right and makes a par. So a great week for him, though. Um, his world ranking, he's just he's really playing some good Eastern swing golf here. And shout out to the boys. All, all of our picks, long shots, regular. Shout out to us. All of them. All of them. <laughs> All of them. Look at the us. Cut. Look at us. It was Look nice to see you guys make the cut. I mean, I haven't missed one yet. I just we want to point get that out it. Again, but doesn't it was nice matter. to see. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, you got to pick a winner. Oh, I did that too. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, so uh, I think Shit. we're looking pretty good. Welcome nice. to the club. All right, Players Championship coming up next. All right, is the week of the Players' Championship, the biggest purse, the best field, one of the best courses in the world, the iconic Island Green. Dubby, give us give us a look into this week's tournament. Yeah, before we get to the players, I just want to talk for a second what's coming up tomorrow night, Wednesday evening. We have Tiger Woods being inducted just down, down the road from Sawgrass. He's being inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. He became eligible a couple years ago. This is his first opportunity to be inducted since then. His daughter, Sam, is going to give the induction speech. Really cool father-daughter moment we're going to see tomorrow night. Tiger Woods arguably has had the greatest impact on a professional sport in history. Without a doubt. No argument. <clears throat> I mean, all these guys and all the money they're making and how popular the game of golf has gotten is arguably solely attributed to Tiger Woods and his dominance for years. Tiger's impact outpaces inflation. We probably wouldn't be doing a podcast without Tiger. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody have a good Tiger Woods story or anecdote they want to share? I mean, my favorite you know, Tiger moment is definitely the, the win at Eastlake a couple years back. You know, someone who didn't really start playing or following golf until you know after you know high school college you know 2010 2011 i mean that was i feel like really one of the first times i got to really see it you know you heard the stories you, you played the video games all that kind of stuff so you knew of it but like watching him come back after you know all of his issues you know surgeries scandals whatever and then come back when the crowd following him up 18th like just rory just fully embracing like 
all right, this is not about me just falling back kind of into the crowd and just fading back. I just thought it was one of the coolest yeah, things. And just so many other players really understanding the moment and coming out to congratulate him. I, I mean, I had memories of five, ten notable golfers who were long done playing at that point in their round and came out to to congratulate him. Just a really cool moment there. Yeah, and I think it was like Justin Rose, I think, won that year, and literally no one cared. Like, it was just, it was all about, like, Tiger. And even he acknowledged, like, yeah, I might have won the FedEx Cup, but, like, this you know tiger tiger's the winner here and i just thought it was like so cool like it was a big flex on literally everyone else in golf was like yeah i'm the one that matters yeah that was the final year of the like points based system in the fedex cup and yeah. i think it's 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 hard to see a guy win a, the final tournament of the year and not win the overall so i'm glad we changed the 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 type a little bit all right cool i guess you guys aren't big tiger yeah i mean me. let's let's hope it's not the last time but the 2019 masters him coming back from everything. Oh, 2019 Masters is unreal. And, I mean, I just got chills all weekend watching him, and it was just vintage Tiger. I mean, as soon as he started coming up the leaderboard, you saw everybody up at the top just fading because they just are not used to handling the pressure of a, a Tiger creeping up the leaderboard and just couldn't hang in there with him. And, and for him to pull it out in the end after everything he had been through, after so many people said he'd never win a major again, just really cool to see. A lot of people crumbled there, including including like Prime Brooks, who Prime looked Brooks, to be Molinari like a steel trap. Yeah. yeah, the one memory I have of that tournament was when Tiger is literally standing like two feet away from Molinari as he's hitting his tee shot, just like <laughs> yeah, you know I'm here. Day. He's like two feet in, like in front of him too, wasn't he? Yeah. Like it's just it's like fully disrespectful, and I loved it. That was such a cool moment too, because that was like his first big win after losing his dad, and seeing him and his family and his kids there was just such a wholesome moment. We saw, um, what was it, 2012, 11, we saw Tiger at Congressional? Oh, yeah. That was cool. Just like actually seeing him walk by you for the first time, he just looks like an alien and just everyone following him. Looks like an alien? Well, he just like, it's just He has like a glow, man. I swear. He's a beautiful man. He's He's floating on a different plane and you're just like, oh, wow, that's actually a real human being. It was just like. Majestic creature. Well, I just think every. (laughs) He really is. Well, Dove did say a tiger was coming up behind (laughs) everybody. I'm like, I'm wondering what's more intimidating. Apex Predator. Literally a tiger. (laughs) I'm gonna say it's pretty. Cool. I think Tiger Woods is more intimidating. Than I think a he Tiger. won. He won, right? Did he win? I think uh, he won that tournament. Yeah, he won and threw his glove into the crowd, hit off my hand, and some person in front of me grabbed it. <laughs> do you Athlete. think? Do you think a Rhodesian Ridgeback could take down a Tiger? <laughs> I think it could take down a Colin. <laughs> Definitely. Nice. Whoa. Yeah. So unfortunately, Tiger's not going to be in the field this week at the Players Championship. Still recovering from his injuries. But yeah, we have the Players Championship. We'll TPC. see him at Augusta. Oh, yeah, we'll see. At TPC Sawgrass, Stadium Course, Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, just outside of Jacksonville. This is probably one of the best fields, if not the best field, in the PGA Tour schedule. We have 48 of the top 50 players in the world golf rankings here. We're only missing Bryson DeChambeau. He's probably 95% back. He was 90 last week. You know, he's got to be getting closer, but still, apparently, he can't play unless he's 100. You say 95% back. Do you mean back issues or? I mean, I can relate to him a lot. I mean, he's dealing with a wrist injury. I'm right there with him. You can't really swing a golf club when you got problems like that. So he's going to miss another week. Hopefully, he'll be back for the Masters. I think that's what he's targeting. And then we got Harris English, who's also missing. I think he's waiting to get surgery or something like that. But so the players is. Arguably the fifth major. I think the the conversation comes up every year. Is it considered a major or is it just going to always have that label of, you know, the fifth major? It's really the crown jewel of the PGA Tour. This is their their biggest event they host throughout the year, considering the majors are hosted by other organizations. 
this year we're seeing a gigantic bump up in the purse. We're looking at a $20 million purse Unbelievable. this year. Show me the money. Yeah, so guys are going to be making some serious cash this year, up from $15 million last year. I believe the PGA Tour signed a huge television deal, and so we're really starting to see the benefits and the dividends pay- being paid to these players because of all the extra revenue the tour has coming in. I mean, I think when you look at this purse and you think about how much viewership it's going to get and really how like it's going to be our favorite tournament of the year so far, it gives some confidence that I think like the Saudi league can succeed because when you start getting good players, the money starts going up. Everyone wants to watch. Yeah. Wow. Well, will definitely be interesting. Last year we had Justin Thomas winning with a 14 under beating Lee Westwood by a stroke. We also had a top five of Bryson DeChambeau, Brian Harmon, uh, the world's greatest American, Paul Casey, and the Gooch man, Taylor Gooch, rounding out the top Gooch. five. Hideki Matsuyama, uh, he didn't close it out because COVID ruined everything, including the Players' Championship in 2019. So Matsuyama only made one round before it was suspended. So some other past winners, we have Rory McIlroy, Webb Simpson, Siwoo Kim, Jason Day, just to name a few. Interesting note, no one has ever won here more than twice, and that includes five players who have, but kind of shocking that of all the great names we've had through the last 30, 40 years, no one's been able to pull this out more than, more than a couple times. Interesting item of note, the tournament moved from, Mar- from May to March in 2019, so we're playing in March for the first couple times here over the last few years. It's made a big difference. I mean, the course plays so different here in the in the early stages of spring versus the the typical Florida summer. I mean, we have different overseeded rye in the roughs makes it a lot easier to play out of the rough. The course is not playing nearly as firm and fast, so definitely a different different course and different tournament as a result of moving it up a couple months. Grass guy. Oh yeah. So we're at the <laughs> TPC Sawgrass Stadium course this week, par 72, about 7200 yards. Interesting note, a former PGA Tour commissioner bought this plot of land, 415 acres of Florida swamp, in 1979 for a dollar. I mean, with inflation, you can only imagine <laughs> it's what's be like that seven dollars these days. And his vision was to be able to host the Players' Championship at a consistent championship-style course. So, of course, he brings in possibly one of the most famous golf architects, Pete Dye, to design this and truly make it a championship test. It's an interesting course, too, because... Professional golfers, it's a you know fifth major, and amateurs like us, we can go play there. And Not well, but we yeah, I mean we can we can hack it around for a little bit. So it's a stadium course under the TPC brand. It's designed to bring in spectators and give them a up close and personal experience, which we see at this tournament and especially at the Waste Management with the TPC Scottsdale. There's really no specific play style favored here. It, it really challenges every area of your golf game. You can't come here leaking oil. You have to re, really be playing well. And you can't talk about this course without mentioning the 17th hole, which is probably the most exciting hole in golf, the Island Green. It doesn't play very long, but when the only thing you can aim at is a green and everything else is water, definitely adds a lot of drama to the weekend rounds especially. Uh, what do you think about a similar setup here to the 16th at Scottsdale? What if they built up like a coliseum and had people yelling and screaming to add to the drama that's already there, these players trying to hit the green? I think that would actually be really cool because the nice thing about how that hole is set up is that you, even if people throw beers and stuff, they're not making it to the green. So it's not 
It's not really impacting. Anything. It's just floaters. Yeah, it's, it's just you have shit in the water. What but if they like, allow not, boats? I was what about they to say the same thing. Let's get like some small like paddle boats out there. You're there pedaling <laughs> like the around. The, and the, the very ponds. That uh, seems like a big insurance risk. Cove, you dive in, in and yeah. chase a golf ball. But hey. about, about about 300 boats out there. <laughs> you got a couple of booze cruises floating around there, you know, pounding beers. 20 grand on a paddle boat. Over yeah. yeah, on that same note, I'm curious, though, what what do we think the boys would be able to shoot there? Who's who's hitting the green? Based off our experience this past weekend, no, no, not looking too great based off our island green at Quail. So I think that's the beauty of the hole is that it plays anywhere from, like, 120 to just a little under 150. Uh, but there's some good wind there, and it like speaking to the fact that it's a stadium course, it's a little sheltered, so it's kind of tough for the guys to gauge the wind, and it can kind of swirl around there sometimes. Uh, and I think I I noted that someone said the hardest shot at Sawgrass is the tee shot on 17, and then the second hardest shot at Sawgrass is the drop zone at 17. So do you think you're hitting the green or not? You didn't really I'm answer my question there. No, I think scratch golfers like probably – like a 50% chance to hit that green. I think I could hit the green, but if you make me drop in that drop area, I'm hit putting nine more <laughs> in the water. <laughs> Who did that last year? Ben on or two years ago? We get a 10 on the hole. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You've definitely seen some highlights here. Guys <laughs> shanking it, missing the green by about 50 yards, just, you know, trying to handle the pressure of hitting the green at the 17th hole. So Sawgrass here, the name of the game, you got to attack the par fives. That's really your scoring opportunities. Players that are doing well at par fives are going to generally exceed here. This is a course where the history matters. You, you're not going to show up here for the first time and suddenly, you know, find yourself in contention. You got to really understand how the how the course plays, where you need to miss, where you can make up some strokes, and and you really have to play it intelligently and navigate your way around. And you got to be playing well coming in. This isn't a course where you're just going to come and find your game if it's not really in form. There's so many challenging tee shots and approach shots. This is one of the top couple courses on tour and penalty strokes with how much water is out there. Generally, we see a lot of guys finding, finding water hazards on their tee shots, and, and it's really challenging for these guys to, to consistently keep it in play. The rough here is not very penal. It's going to be nothing like last week where these guys are hacking it out of ankle-deep rough every hole if they miss the fairway by a couple yards. you got to miss in the correct spots, though, to give yourself the correct angle into these greens. And and talking about these greens, these Tiff Eagle Bermuda greens. Grass, I mean, grass, this is grass. the yeah, of course, grass guy here. This is the seventh most difficult putting course on tour. <laughs> so you're going to need to putt well, and you're going to need to roll it well if you want to be able to contend. You can't just rely on ball striking or hitting it well off the tee. You really have to be well rounded this week to compete at the players. Can I, can I ask you a question? What the fuck is Tiff Eagle? <laughs> Why is it capitalized? It's a hybrid of the Bermuda. You know, it's a it's a genetic mutation because of the cobalt radiations. And yeah, I have no Whoa. idea, but that's what all these <laughs> okay. courses are. So we saw it last wow. week. We're seeing it again cobalt this radiation. week. Can you come so. help me with my lawn? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that's good research, but did you know Daniel Berger's really good at sand saves? Hey. <laughs> whoa, whoa, spoiler alert. 70% or higher. Yeah, I shouldn't be calling anyone out of research. I think one <laughs> comment dub about, so the, the par fives needing to attack, and then the water, 16, the par five, is the one that JT classically eagled, hit a five iron stiff to like a foot. Oh, is that the, so the 16th hole is actually classically the easiest hole in the golf course. And then going to 17, so you kind of get like the high of getting like a really good score on 16, and then you have to walk into probably the hardest shot on the PGA Tour. Well, and it's tough too, because you're playing the 16th, and that's the easiest hole there's definitely a lot of times it's going to be in the back of your mind like, shit, I got to walk up to this 17th green here and try and not put it in the water with my whole tournament on the line here. 
So this year is going to be really interesting. The forecast down there near Jacksonville is going to be making for pretty electric conditions. So we're going to see <laughs> no a, pun intended. a lot of rain. We're going to see some thunderstorms. This course is really going to soften up the first couple days, which is going to favor our longer hitters. You know, you're able to carry it a lot further than the shorter hitters and have some short irons. And with it, with it being wet out there, these guys are just going to be able to throw some darts at the flags and being able to get the balls to stick and not roll out. And then as the weekend carries on, we're going to see the temperatures drop. We're going to see 20, 30-mile-an-hour winds swirling all over the place, culminating on Sunday when the high of, is going to be low 50s. So just unreal conditions for this course. We're going to see some challenging conditions out there, and we're going to watch a lot of guys struggle again this week, just like we did last week at the Arnold Palmer. Yeah, I think something I noticed is that this course, I don't, it, it, it caters well to a lot of people's games, but a lot of times long hitters play well here. But when you look at conditions like that, you got to start thinking like some of the European tour guys that are in the field. Yeah, especially swirling winds, 20, 30 mile an hour. It's, it's going to be unreal. I mean, 17 and 18 could very well play straight into the wind on Sunday, making that hole pretty much impossible. So, so given the forecast, the grass, the field, do you guys think we're going to see a hole in one this week on 17 or what? Hundred percent. What are the statistics? Do we do we frequent? I wonder. Like, is it? I don't remember the last time I saw one. I only thing I remember is like Ricky, like getting so close, like three or four different times the year. I he think Ryan Moore made one. I remember Freddie Couples classically yeah, I was made say that. Freddie Couples is the one that comes. Freddie Couples made it's like probably one of the more iconic shots in golf. Is he puts his first shot in the water and then jars his third shot. He didn't even go to the penalty area. He stayed on the tee. It's pretty cool. So it wasn't a hole in one. No, a hole in three, but an amazing par. Yeah. Asterisk. So, so interesting. And interestingly enough, looking at the Fanduel Sportsbook here, the odds for anybody in a round in a threesome to hit a hole in one plus five thousand for an individual player in round one plus fifteen thousand. So if you're feeling really confident, you might as well take a swing here and try and hit one of these. Watch seventeen all day. That'd be fun. Nice. Okay, I think that wraps up our course update and uh, the tournament for the week. So Tyler, let's start talking about who the guys are picking. Yeah, we're going to start off looking at the top 10 for this week. Um, the betting favorite is Colin Morikawa at plus 1,100, followed by John Rahm and Justin Thomas at plus 1,300. We've got Victor Hovland at plus 1,700, Rory McIlroy at plus 1,900, followed by Patrick Cantlay and Scotty Scheffler, your boy, at plus 2,400, Xander Shoffley at plus 2,800, Hideki Matsuyama at plus 3,100. And then rounding out the top 10, we've got Cameron Smith and Daniel Flippin Burgers at plus 3,400. Uh, starting off the, the top of the list, we've got uh, our very own 2L. we got Colin picking his boy, Colin Morikawa, to go for the win. Colin, what do you, what, what do you like about Colin? Colin on Colin. Yeah, just, just knowing, knowing what this course is going to play like, it, I had to go with my fellow double L here, my namesake. He's the best approach player in the game. I mean, Dub Isn't said he younger it, than you? Dub said it very well. These guys are going to be sticking it close to the pin all week long. Uh, I know it's a tough putting course, but when Collins p- has five footers for birdie all day long, it's not going to be too challenging for him. There's a reason he's overtaking Rom as a favorite this week. So, yeah, I'm going with Colin. Yeah, I like that idea of the, the tough putting conditions aren't aren't necessarily inside 10 feet. It's, it's, it's some huge undulations in these greens, kind of similar to Augusta that make it challenging. Undulations is the word of the week. Bet you a dollar you can't spell it. U N D U L. Definitely thought it started with a no. I O N. Undulations? That's an architecture word, baby. How do you spell Wyoming? W A Y. 
All right, moving on for the spelling contest. Uh, next on our you list. You started the spelling contest. I know, but I'm also ending it. And then <laughs> moving on, we're going to go to my pick. Uh, looking at last year's winner, Justin Thomas. Uh, he's got great stats across the board. The only thing that really worried me was his putting. He's currently 126th in shots gained putting. But if he's able to figure that out and get his putter going with how well he's been playing, if the putter gets hot, I think he's going to run away with this thing. So I, th- I think we've really got a good look at Justin Thomas this week. It sounds a lot like your Louie pick where you're like, oh, he's never won. He always finished in second, but I you, like him because he can not putt. Do you remember my pick last week? Yeah, the, the one you f- the, followed the, Colin because Colin managed to pick him and win. Is all that right, what it was? All right, all right. Talk to me when you win. Uh, next on the list, we've got Ben picking Rory McIlroy at plus 1,900. What do you think? Yeah, I read a stat that last year Rory missed the cut by like 10 shots. He was coming off of like a four straight tournament kind of a long, long stretch. And this this week he's just coming off the Honor Palmer. It's his revenge tour. It's his coronation tour. And uh, I really like him pulling it out here. Wet conditions, I think, sticking the ball close. I think similar to Colin's pick with Colin Morikawa. When Rory, uh, when greens are soft and Rory can take his high draw into pins, he's just going to be sticking it close all week. Yeah, one thing I'd like to say about Rory, and it really reminds me of a Drake song I like listening to. <laughs> uh, it's, it's called In My Feelings. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering if we're going to get a flashback to last week where he's whining he's about good. how tough the course Ooh, is playing. Shots fired. But this week, is going to be whining that mm. he has to play in the rain? Not not remembering that everyone else has to play in the rain, but mm. that Rory has to play in the rain. Is that going to be something that might come back to him? I think his frustration is going to be focused this week, and he's on his revenge tour. Wow, Ben did not take the bait. You did not take the bait. Boo! Smart, 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 smart. Hey, next on our list, we've got Dub going with Patrick Cantlay at plus 2,400. Uh, we know Cantlay's been playing lights out. Uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him at the top of the board. Dub, what do you like about Patrick this week? Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a lot of solid performances recently. I mean, most notably, probably the strongest field we're going to see in a long time, the Seminole Pro member. He won there, so he's rounding into form. <laughs> he leads the tour, or is a leader on the tour in par 5 scoring. He avoids trouble. He stays away from bogeys and doubles. I think he's number two on tour in that. And also, he turns 30 next week. He wants to end his 20s with a bang. I mean, Tully knows all about that just a couple weeks ago. So Life's he's definitely, definitely going to be uh, gunning for this victory before he turns 30 and just, you know, life's over at that point. One thing about Patrick is he doesn't ever hit the ball too far offline. So when you talk about his bogey avoidance, he's got a stellar short game. He's a great putter. Doesn't hit the ball very far offline. I think at a course like this where there's a ton of water, he's going to be avoiding those those uh, penalty strokes, and he could easily pull it out. Just to be contrarian there, it's one thing I know about Patrick's is they don't hit the ball online. <laughs> <laughs> our Patrick doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's our Patrick. But what, what's our Patrick know about Xander Shoffley? Uh, Who's we've Patrick? Se- yeah, we've seen him towards what's the top of the board. Uh, Patrick, not a bulldog. Patrick. Tully, what have we got? Xander, plus 2,800. Do we think he pulls it out this week? All right, now I said it a few weeks back after the waste management that the dynamic duo of Xander and myself would be back, and, and this is the tournament. All right, so you're going to have to bear with me here. What makes you and Xander dynamic? We're adorable. Mm. We're cuddly. Okay. Does he even know you? Uh, maybe. Okay, I'll stop. We're pretty big on the internet. So last two years here, he, he has failed to make the cut, and then there was obviously the the COVID issue where, you know, no one got to finish, so who knows what might have happened there. But what I, after some in-depth research, I found out that really the last six winners, or last in the last six tournaments, four of the winners have a history of not making the cut, which kind of speaks to what Dub talked about, where it's about kind of that course knowledge. You know, so 
Rory missed the cut four times before winning. Webb missed it four times before winning. Day missed it three times before winning. Ricky missed it three times before winning. Justin Thomas was a freak, somehow managed to win without missing the cut. And then Siwoo, at plus 50,000, you know, when the year he won, you know, I think it was his second time. But it seemed kind of historically that, you know, it takes that experience. And after a few missed cuts, they kind of figured it out. In his debut, he did finish tied for second here the first time he played it. So he, he knows how to play the course. He's had the time to go about. He's been playing well. I think he's, he's a top 10 golfer. I think this is this is it. He returns it on. He finishes it out. He's you know this is this is his time. It's gonna happen. Olympic champion too. Yeah, he's he's got the gold medal. He's flexing on all of them right now. Yeah, this is a course where if you come in and you don't have your game, it's not going to treat you friendly. You got to figure out a way to 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 make it work. So uh, yeah, the experience is key, and then finding a way to to maneuver around the golf course. And Xander does that well. Athlete. Yeah, rounding out our top 10, we've got Ken going back to the bank, going with Daniel flipping burgers, uh, plus 3,400. Ken, is this the week? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the week, but, uh, you know, he's... <laughs> then why did you pick him? Well, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about him. <laughs> top 10 last year. He's in a power group with DJ and Spieth. I think he's going to play to the uh, rise to the occasion after he folded two weeks ago, kind of mentally weak a couple weeks ago. Um, he's not very long off the tee, but he's fourth in driving accuracy, which I think is big here, and he also is... Uh, 82.76 out of the sand. So sand saves, Really baby. an incredible stat there. I heard number a lot. One, number one on the tour. Number one on the tour. I heard a lot of people talking about, like, driving the ball well here. Like, long is, is important. But the course is only playing 7,200. I know it'll be a little bit longer with the rainy conditions, but certainly doesn't mean a short hitter can't win here. And it's, what's his Instagram handle? DB Straight Vibe. DB Straight Vibe, bro. I remember really? looking it up, like, a couple years ago, and his only pick was, like, him on a yacht with some babes. I, I think it's great <laughs> when you get, like, Pretty famous, and you're like, you know, you have, uh, you're verified. And you just keep that name you had the whole time, just DB straight vibe. And he probably had that when he was like 20 or something. Love it. Also a Florida guy, so Florida State money. Yeah. So I want to say to all our listeners here, if you're smart, you'll just take Burger to probably be like the 36 or 54 hole leader, and then to <laughs> fall off. Afterwards. If if Vic wins this week, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> I did hear he got to see a Wonder of the World last week. Did you? Did you actually? <laughs> you I did, worried, I did Ken? Not, I did you not worried? actually look at his. I'm gonna check his Instagram right now. Hold on a second. Ken may change his pick. We'll see. Uh, yeah, while Ken's looking at that, we're gonna jump to our long shot picks of the week. Uh, we're gonna start with Ben, the long shot of the long shots. Ben, you're looking at Bo Hostler this week to win at plus thirty four thousand. Uh, what really strikes you about him this week? That at such long odds, you think he has a chance to pull this out? Yeah. So we got some pretty crazy long odds. Because of how talented the field is, like we said, 48 of the top 50 in the world here this week. Um, if you're looking at anyone in the bottom 30 of the odds, everything is like plus 20,000 and more. So if you put 100 bucks on Bo Hostler to win this week, you'd make 34 grand. It's just crazy money. A little unlikely to happen. Um, but I think the one thing I like about Bo is that when we saw him a few years back, we really kind of labeled him as a bit of a hothead. And like we've seen with Rom, he's kind of gotten it under control. And then Bo is top five in the, in the on the tour in putting. Um, the only thing that really really bite him in the in the butt this week would be his driving accuracy. But if he can keep the ball in play, he's going to put the lights off the ball. I will say the last time we were at TPC Avenel to watch a tournament, Ben was talking up Bo's uncle, so he might have the inside scoop here. We are connected on LinkedIn. <laughs> Our next longest odds are my pick this week. Uh, also to win is Patrick Reed. Um, hasn't been playing great recently. He does have three straight missed cuts, um, but we've seen what he's done historically. At some point, he's going to have a wake-up call. 
Uh, I do think it's going to be this week. You see how this star-studded field is going to be out there. Patrick's going to see all his buddies around him, or not so much buddies given who you're asking, but he's going to be out there. He's going to see the talent around him. I think he's really going to step up to the plate. I think he has a really good chance to win this thing. I mean, he's the type of championship-caliber player that, that would win a tournament like this, and a phenomenal short game, so even if he's not hitting it that well, he should be able to hang around. I heard the odds for him to snap a club over his leg were better than his odds to win, though. We can look into that, too. should ask his not-so-good buddies. What are the odds he cheats? <laughs> Minus 50. Pretty high. <laughs> All right, next longest. Yeah, he's got Calvin Ridley on the bag this week. <laughs> <laughs> Might bet on himself. Our next longest odds is going to be Colin going with Jason Day, running it back. Uh, Colin, is Jason Day going to be healthy enough to claw this one out? What are you thinking? Well, he is healthy. Unfortunately, last week, uh, Jay Day had to withdraw due to, due to, due to inf- a family loss, so I didn't get to see that pick through. Um, you have to wonder where his mind's at, understandably, but with these steep odds, I think you gotta. I think you got to take a shot on him here. We're all going to be rooting for him, obviously. He's played some great golf early in the season, third at Torrey. He's a top 25 at Pebble this year, um, and he has a great track record on PB Die. Or, sorry, PB Die. That's a local course. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Die courses. Dub mentioned it in the intro. Pete Die, designer. He's done a ton of courses or ton, ton of courses that they play on tour. Uh, he has three wins on Pete Die courses, including the Players' Championship back in 2016. So I think it's worth a flyer on J-Day here. Yeah, run it back and just, you know, one of the year-in, year-out best putters, and we read about how hard it is to putt on these greens. So good pick. Our last long shot winner is going to be Tully's pick. He's going with his boy, Billy Billy. Billy Billy. Billy Horschel at plus 4,800 to win. We've seen some good golf out of Billy recently. Uh, Tully, is that what's kind of driving you to this pick, or is there anything else there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Billy Billy, big friend of the pod here. Not really, but we hope one day. Uh, Guy's been playing phenomenal golf, like you mentioned. In his last four tournaments, I think he's played pretty much like four straight weeks, the worst he's done is... Tied for 16th in what was considered, you know, a brutal Honda Classic, where we saw some, you know, historic collapses from some other picks from the boys. So, I mean, he's been playing really, really well, and he's not expected to play next week at the Valspar. So, you know, this is his last chance as a Florida boy to get that Gator Chomp and and get that win on his home home turf. In addition, you know, similar to my mindset with Xander, he's also a person that's played the course a lot. He's missed the cut a couple times. So he follows that same kind of trend, and you know, as a, I think I saw it. It was in this tournament for the last six years. The average odds were like plus twelve five, with you know, uh, Siwoo being the outlier. So I think you're going to see a kind of a long shot, but a recognizable name win this. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, then to wrap up our long shot picks, we do have two top ten finishes. We're going to start with Josh uh, going with another fellow lefty with Brian Harmon to place in the top ten. At plus eleven hundred, Dub, walk us through your uh, fellow lefty pick here. Yeah, definitely sticking with the lefties here. I mean, you gotta love the course history. He's had two straight top tens, so hard not to like him. For whatever reason, his game just suits this course really well. I think as the conditions get really tough, Tippy, he he hits the ball very reminiscent of you off the tee. Nothing exciting, not going a long way, but you can oh. cash it that it's just going right down the middle. Dead straight. He's, he's going to keep himself out of trouble, and especially, like we said, in those tough conditions, he's really going to keep himself in contention, and, and we'll see if his ball striking can live up to it this week. He's kind of a little – when he wants to be a pretty good, like, low-trap draw ball hitter. So, yeah, when the conditions get tough, I, I like him this week. Ken, then wrap up our uh, picks for our long shots. Another top ten, the – Great American Paul Casey plus one thousand. Is this the week? Yes. 
Why? In simple terms, yes. Top five last year at the players. Uh, he may have shot his worst round of his career on Sunday with a plus 11. Really just went just down the drain. But like all great Americans, he will bounce back. And, uh, you know, like what Ben was saying earlier, uh, you know, it's going to be 36 degrees out there on Sunday. You know, the European players, maybe a little, little wind and rain. I thought he was an American. A little plan. Uh, well, yeah, he has dual citizenship. <laughs> He's played a lot in Europe. Played a lot in Europe. Yeah. Big, Him and Louis. Big, yeah, like to play. I <laughs> played a lot in Europe. I got to ask, how many times did he win the players when you were using him on uh, PJ Toro 7? Undefeated. Oh, About yeah. as many so, times as Paula Creamer. So, yeah, <laughs> Paula Creamer is, was my favorite LPGA, so we'll get back to that. Uh, Paula and Paul, yeah, dynamic duo. Paulie. Yep, it's good, Paul. Nice. All right, that wraps up Ten our long shots year. for the week at the players. Uh, we'll be back in a sec to talk about golf tech, and uh, is it out of hand? All right, and then wrapping up the episode today, we got Colin leading us on the discussion if if golf tech is getting out of hand and then what we might do to combat it. Yeah, thanks, Ben. So the question we want to ask here is, due to all the scaling of golf equipment innovation over the past, I don't know, 40-some years, are we heading for a breaking point where the technology is actually having a negative impact on the game? So just kind of set the stage here. I'm going to run through some of the recent, or, yeah, recent innovations in golf equipment uh, that we've seen since 1980. So... Starting with a golf ball in the 70s and 80s, you had the Balada covered ball. That's a that was a rubber core filled with liquid wrapped in rubber bands. That's uh, that's what all these guys were using back in the 80s, and they were not getting nearly the distance they are now. Not nearly the amount of spin. Not very complicated. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, but the modern golf balls these days, they have a one piece core with more durable cover that kind of improves the the distance without sacrificing any spin rates. So. That's why you see these guys spinning it, zipping it back on the green towards the hole. Uh, that norm, that modern golf ball allows them to do that. Um, putters. Putters are obviously a huge part of the game, as we've made clear on this podcast before. Um, these, these modern put- putters, they in- implement this MOI, moment of inertia technology, and that's basically saying that if you don't hit the ball in the center of the putter where you're supposed to, uh, it's going to be more forgiving and still keep it on its line. Also, they have the technology. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Tully, we all know that you got to keep it on that line. Good for us. <laughs> they also have technology to where when you're striking that ball, it's staying on the ground, it's rolling true, it's keeping on that line. It's all about just having a forgiving putter that's going to keep that ball going where you're aiming it. I don't know if you've noticed, but like the new putter or the putter that Bryson's been using for the past couple of years, the SICK or Science and Kinetics putters, they have this descending loft technology on their putters where at the top of the face – it's one degree, and as it gets down to the bottom of the face, it grows to like four degrees. And that, once again, is like another type of technology, just making it, well, quote-unquote, easier to butt, and the miss is less penal. Yep, the whole thing is to just keep it out of the air when you first strike it and just get it on the ground rolling true. Moving on to irons, so you'll see a lot of different irons. Uh, you got blades, you got cavity back blades. Essentially, when we say blades, that's allowing you to move the ball more left-right. Um, you'll see most all the PGA Tour players are playing blades if you're a – if you're like a novice golfer, weekend golfer, you may be using cavity back because they're a little more forgiving. They give you a little extra distance without um, having that normal fade uh, or or draw that you that you don't foresee coming. You mean um, slice or hook? <laughs> right. Uh, 
there have also been a plenty of face improvements and uh, changes in the lofts to just kind of improve performance and distance, uh, just allowing you to hit it if you find yourself in a bad spot off the tee just to get it to the green where, where you can. Talking about another material, I think the more recent innovation, innovation in irons is this polymer eject, injected heads too, which once again is just another type of technology that makes it more forgiving. And as much as pro, tour pros play blades, they're also not bashful about playing a more forgiving iron knowing that it's going to give them a better chance coming down the stretch. So you see a lot like Victor Hovland plays some pretty beefy irons and it's he's still a great iron player, but it certainly gives him the forgiveness down the stretch on Sunday. Yeah, and you're even seeing a lot of them like mixing those hybrids and stuff like that right. instead of those irons because they're same reason. They're more forgiving, a little more you know, helpful out of that rough. Yep. yep, and then finally moving back to the tee box, looking at the driver, innovation in the driver. I, this is probably where you see the most change over the past 40 years. I mean, just since 1980, the average tour... Uh, driving distance has increased 40 yards um, in, in the 40 years. So just some, some of the modern innovations here. The first steelhead driver was introduced by TaylorMade back in 1979. Callaway introduced their first titanium driver in 1995, the Great Big Bertha. Iconic. That, yep, that name probably sounds familiar to a lot of, a lot of people out there. But that basically jump-started the market, the U.S. market for titanium drivers. And uh, if you look at a, a line graph of the tour average di- uh, driving distance, that highest increase, that highest highest elevation is from 1995 to 2010, when right after that titanium driver was introduced. So that definitely had a huge impact on the game. Well, so they had like 20 years of like minimal growth, and then within 10 or 15 years, it had added 30 yards. Yep. Wow. It'll be interesting to see, like, you know, now they're, they're kind of, at least TaylorMade trying to move on from the titanium with that whole carbon wood stealth thing. Let's see if that has a similar sort of huge jump like uh, the titanium did. Yeah. yeah for, for forgiveness, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It'll be interesting. So, yep. Uh, speaking of TaylorMade, in 2005, they introduced the first driver with the adjustable weighting. So that was the R7. Uh, you might remember that little piece that kind of slid up and down. And then finally, in 2011, you, we got into the first fully adjustable drivers uh, spearheaded by Titleist. Adams and Strixon, surprisingly, were the first, some of the first to introduce the fully adjustable drivers because they're kind of out of the game now. Yeah, so talking about like how groundbreaking this technology was, uh, my dad's pretty stingy. He spent $300 <laughs> on a driver in 2005. And that was the R7 when it first came out. It actually had like the four corners of weights and you had to screw screw them out completely and put them in different configurations. But uh, for a guy that doesn't spend a lot of money on golf, when he bought that, that's when you knew the technology was good. And thank God you're such a good salesman when you were working at a uh, Dick Sporting Goods to get him a new driver afterwards. Now he doesn't have to pay for clubs, yeah. <laughs> yep, and then finally, just to talk about some of the latest technology that's occurred over the past year, two years, uh, Tully already mentioned it, the tailor-made carbon wood, the stealth driver, uh, they introduced this new carbon face that's that's supposed to be lighter weight, allowing TaylorMade to kind of improve the weighting in other areas of the driver. Um, you have Callaway's jailbreak technology in their Epic driver, so that's basically two metal rods that they've put behind the between the crown and the sole that kind of helps uh, with the impact compression and and allows them to improve performance and a little bit of forgiveness. Uh, you have these drivers, so like you'll see the same driver with different names, and that's just kind of allowing you like if you hit a draw or a hook, typically. Uh, this is helping you to kind of correct that if you pick one or a, or a fade or a cut, um, like or yeah, likewise, uh, it's helping you correct those. Hit a little straighter, errors. yeah. Correct. Low and then uh, similarly, the low spin drivers improve forgiveness just to keep you from tailing it off to the right or left. Just keep it straight down the middle of the fairway. Yeah, I think when you think about the old drivers, 
and and how their heads were made up. It's, you have a lot of weight in the face just because the technology wasn't there yet to have a like a quality control driver that wouldn't break. So you know to to increase forgiveness, kind of like we're talking about these putters with high MOI. The more weight you can get around the edge of the club, the more forgiving it'll be, and then they can also put the weight more behind it and in the middle of the club to give that that center impact the most distance. Yeah, I kind of like you mentioned the putter there again. I kind of feel like that's biggest impact is more for you know you and I sitting here around this table and people listen to this podcast than it does you know the pros. They just you know we saw a picture of Scotty uh, Tiger Scotty where like there's literally like a ball mark. Right. From right in the middle of the you know the perfect spot the that sweet spot on the putter face, where like I feel like these these tour pros like they're not really f- worried about that you know forgiveness they're just so dialed in on that. Yeah, I think when you look at so I think I put drivers in one category and then I put irons and putters in another category because you still see a lot of pros using blades for the putter and then blades for their irons as well because they're aware of the sacrifices of going to either a cavity back or a mallet style head they lose a lot of feel they lose a little workability. Um, but the drivers, they want anything that is more forgiving and longer. There's really, there's been no holding back. It's, it's gotten pretty crazy. Yep. So, and just a side note here. So looking at the PJ tour scoring average leaders, um, since 1980, so that we're still talking the past 40 years here in 1980, the top scoring average player was averaging 69.7 throughout their rounds on the PJ tour in 2020. It's now at about 69, even 68.98. So over those 40 years, despite all those in, all these advancements in technology, the scoring haver- average has only gotten better by less than one stroke. That's pretty crazy. Uh, you made a comment about, so we've picked up 40 yards in distance. So you think there are 14 holes on a course where you're hitting driver or some kind of wood. So 14 times 40 is like 700 some extra yards that these courses are having to add just to keep up with what they would have been previously. I think that's pretty crazy to think about. Yep. So just to open, kind of open up the discussion here. So are we heading towards an era where the golf equipment is kind of changing the game in a negative way? And when we talk about the golf equipment getting out of hand, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to you guys? I got to say, I don't think it's getting out of hand at all. I'm, you know, on the, that side where I think for all of us, obviously, you know, we, we need the help. You know, we struggle. You know, we, we've got a couple low handicappers here, but everyone else is, double digits or high double digits so i mean we certainly need all the help and then when it comes to the pros i I can't i wasn't just shooting shots at you i was shooting shots at myself um but when it comes to the pros like we've seen you know especially the last couple weeks on tour like they can still struggle with all of this you know regardless of all this technology and they still get the same frustrations as we do despite the fact that you know they are significantly better than we are but they're out there playing these harder courses and you know they're still having rounds where you know, someone shoots 11 over par, even though they were, you know, once, you know, right up there and, you know, contention and things like that. You know, it's, it's very much so it's developing. Yes, it maybe changes the way they have to build out some of these courses for events, but I think it doesn't matter whether or not they have, we all have the same technology. Totally. I make, I think you make a very important distinction here between us as the kind of average weekend golfers and the PGA tour. We're, we're spouting off a lot of PGA stats here just because that's what's available online. But I think when you're when you're having this debate about golf technology, you got to think about not only what's better for the tour for the tour and us as viewers of the tour, but what's the best for us as players of the game and as stewards of the game. Exactly, and like when it comes down to it, like you can you can make there there are different rules and different equipment that it, the PGA tours have to play, but in reality, 
we're all going to be watching, you know, whatever's happened, whatever tournament it is on Sunday, and we're going to be like, I want that club. I'm going to use that club, and we're going to buy in that same thing anyways. Can I, can I ask a question to the more knowledgeable golf people here? What's what's driving the market? Is it the everyday golfer, or is it, like, the PGA? So I, is the PGA Tour? So I would imagine it's, like, advancements happen in the PGA Tour, and then, like, it kind of it kind of trickles down to the everyday golfer or is it the opposite where they're trying to kind of sell to a broader market and then the PGA guys are kind of off on their own. The technology is off on their own spectrum for them. I think regardless club sales is the lifeblood of golf and its success financially. So they're trying to play to the every play to us. basically. Right. So you have like different class distinctions where you have like the tour driver and then like the game improvement drivers and stuff like that. But you know, I think that the major argument here is that we're never going to be able to have th- these club companies are just never going to say yes to limiting technology because the money that they make on new technology year in and year out is based on what the pros use and it's what drives golf. That's why like someone like Bryson is like a perfect storm for them because he's hitting it long and every there's a also like 30 million golfers out there that want to hit it long basically, right? I think Cobra has been on the map a little bit, but he and other golfers are just blowing things up for them. Ricky, yeah. I mean, without, without the sponsorships of those players, they wouldn't be anywhere. I think it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's like, it's, it's definitely interwoven as but the tour golfers and us, but I, I think it's curious, like the stat that Colin pulled up that the tour average, I mean, if you look at the 2010 average, it's literally the same as 1980. So literally in 30 years, no changes in scoring, but the technology is incredibly different. I think that's probably the key metric here. And what we've all talked about is not seeing scoring average go down. I mean, I think these courses just morph to the current day player, I think the argument of like the shorter hitter can't compete is probably nullified. You know, I think there's too many ways and avenues now to get stronger and get longer. And then we play a variety of courses every year where distance is just not king. Yeah, it's pretty impressive over the last, you know, five, 10 years to see how well some of these courses have adapted to these changing technologies. I mean, you look at Augusta as a prime example. They've made a lot of changes to the architecture there place some additional trees, move some tee boxes around to really adapt to the increasing distance that these players are hitting it. We're not really seeing a big difference. And and if we look at last week as well, I mean, that's a prime example of these golf course superintendents really being able to combat a lot of this. They can let the rough grow. They can get the greens rolling super quick. I mean, there's plenty of ways to be being able to curb the advantages that some of these various technologies have. And so but I think yeah. the question, can we talk about that? For a second? I think the question is like, should they have to do that? Should the course designers have to redesign course? Like if you think about baseball stadiums, they've, they've actually gotten smaller over the last hundred years. And it's like, you know, they just stay like Fenway Park. You know, if you, if you were to like move the like green monster back, you know, 50 feet because people are hitting it farther. Is that like, is that flying in the face of kind of the history of the game? I mean, I'm, maybe it's not a direct one-to-one comparison, but do they have to keep redesigning the courses all the time? I mean, I, I think mean, a lot of it's fun, exciting, but I, I just I'm just you know playing devil's advocate here, I guess. Well, I think a lot of it they don't necessarily have to redesign the courses in like essence. You know, moving a tee box back isn't you know obviously they have to take into consideration you know, land comes into play, but you know it's just a matter of having the space to move it a little back, make it farther, as well as they have the flexibility because the fairway is what it is based off how they choose to mow it. the The rough is what it is based off of wh- you know when they decide to cut it, so they can in essence, change the course, change the design of the course by simply narrowing the fairways and, you know, cutting them, you know, more narrow, letting the rough grow a little thicker and things like that. They don't necessarily have to actually go through what it would take to move, you know, the green monster back 50 feet. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also a question too, of what's, what's a more entertaining product for the PGA tour guys going out there. Like we saw the one tournament earlier this year, shooting 35 under where basically if you don't birdie a hole, you're losing a stroke 
or what we saw last week where guys are struggling just to make a par. I mean, certainly a balance in there, but we're trying to, you know, figure out where the, the equilibrium is between the two of, you know, just playing super easy versus super difficult. And so trying to find a striking balance there, I think is key as well. Yeah, that's a good point, Dub. And I think just to go back to Ken's comparison uh, to baseball, so we, we think about the MLB. They've instituted the wooden bats, uh, obviously, to control the, the amount, the kind of distance these guys can hit it. Uh, I know in college, I think college and high school, uh, they've institu- instituted the BB core bats just for safety and kind of bring the distance back a little bit. So are we heading towards a world where golf gets regulated or kind of um, adjusted in that sense, or are we heading, or are we heading towards a world where golf is more like Formula One, where essentially the innovation drives the sport? I think the second one. I think that these, I don't know, golf isn't the most inherently exciting sport. Kind of like Formula One isn't that exciting to watch all the time. Like it's a long race. Like golf tournaments are long. So I think that the sky is kind of the limit. And I think there are drawbacks too with where the technology is going. Like just because. Bryson can hit his eight iron 230 yards doesn't mean he can hit any closer than Matt Fitzpatrick can hit his four iron from that distance. So it's, it's still a, a crucial game of skill. I think the inher- I think that's a good point, Colin. I think the big, big thing is like the there's no safety issue, right? Like the tech can go as fast as it wants and no one, like with baseball, they pulled it back because like pitchers were getting hit more with ball or like in NFL, you see helmet improvements in technology because of concussions. Like literally in golf, it, there's, <laughs> there's literally no way someone can get hurt unless you strike a pedestrian or someone on the side or a viewer on the side. Like, so there's no limitation, the real limitation in the tour kind of pulling back on that at all. Yeah. And I, it kind of feels like to me, you know, the big change you're seeing in like the top players in terms of how far they're hitting and stuff like that, it's almost less the equipment and it's more like physical fitness is way more of a thing now than it was 30, 40 years ago. Like I feel like Tiger was probably, you know, the, the initial guy that was way into that kind of, you know, aspect of things, but you look how much like Bryson changed his body from, you know, five years ago to now. And he obviously averaged, you know, a significant amount, you know, added to his distance. Rory's been known to be someone that works out constantly and they're all more on side of that. Whereas you look into, and honestly, I love it. You look back, you know, at Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, you got people, you know, just ripping cigarettes on the course there. It's way more there about the golf, you know, whatever. And they're, it's more of a, I'm out here, this is what I do, but I'm also going to, you know, smoke cigarettes, drink beers, whatever. Shout out John Daly. But now they're, they're health nuts like you see in all the other sports. It's less the equipment and it's more just their ability. Like you're not going to tell, you know, NFL players they can't lift as many weights just because they're now stronger and they're faster, et cetera. And with golf, you have a 40-year career. In NFL, you have like an eight-year career if you're lucky. So it's an interesting thing about longevity too. It's probably another whole other conversation that can play into this tech is – like you know, someone like like Freddie Couples can still can be competitive at one term in a year or something like that. You know, the big discussion really is driver distance, and a lot of it is is attributable to technology, but also a lot of it's attributable, like Telly talks about fitness. But you also have like Tiger, and now even Bryson being like these poster childs for showing how these violent fast swings are really they don't they can be really taxing on your career. And and Tiger's had a lot of injuries, and then Bryson's kind of working into that as well. So. Um, you kind of have to ask yourself, are you here for a good time or are you here for a long time kind of thing? Yeah, I think Bryson is a very interesting case study. And, I mean, throughout this conversation, we've kind of been coming at it with the assumption that improvement in golf innovation means improvements to the scores and improvement to the game. But, I mean, another question is, is there a downside to this innovation? We talk about about Bryson, about Tiger, and about their health issues. Uh, we talked about Adam Scott earlier about kind of 
having less confidence in his driver because he feels like he needs to go out there and hit it longer. We talk about these guys chasing distance by extending their drivers. Is this innovation in that thought process kind of causing them to kind of take a step backward at all? I think the distinction is if, if there ever creates a plateau that you can't get to unless you're hitting at 350, that they'll probably try to work their way back. But I think we're clearly seeing there are, there are clear downsides to hitting the ball far, and it doesn't always lead to success. It's also pretty clear that you don't have to, like you said, be a long ball hitter. You, you've got plenty of golfers out there that are, we'll say, below average in terms of like the distance-wise, and at least how you compare them to like the, the long ball hitters. Like you've got a Kevin Kisner who is by no means considered to be a, a, a big hitter on the tour, but he is constantly you know finishing top 20 and stuff like that and he's made a shit ton of money by just being a good golfer in so many other ways you know or even you look at Colin Morikawa he's not considered a you know a big hitter by all means I watched the uh the Taylor made put out a video basically with you know the, all their big guys hitting drives and he was mocking himself the whole time he's like I can't compete with any of you with this but yet in the last two years he's won two majors I don't think any of those guys that were in that video had won a major, and that includes Rory, DJ, uh, Wolf, uh, Sergio was there, so maybe he won one in the last couple of years. But you know, it, there are so many other factors to golf where I don't think driving driving distance is like kind of the be all end all as much as it does have benefit. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau has really skewed our perspective of how much distance matters. I mean, it's it's pretty mind-boggling that we watch these tournaments and see him make these mammoth swings, and we think distance matters so much because of that. But Bryson was an elite golfer before he decided to make this big swing change. He was a top 10 golfer, top 15. I'm not sure exactly what it was before he decided to take this time out with COVID. And the guy's very analytical base. He spent a lot of time researching, like, if I add 10 yards to my currently elite golf game, how much of a difference that makes. And sure, he drives it a lot further than guys. And and the biggest thing, though, it's not just the distance. For him to be able to hit it as straight as he does, swinging as hard and hitting it that far, I mean, it's, it's such an anomaly compared to other guys who hit the ball a long way that he's able to keep it that accurate. So it's it's not necessarily the distance only that has caused such a significant upswing in, in the golf game there. It's it's everything else around it that he's added that couple yards of distance to. A hundred percent. I mean, if, if it was just distance, you'd see those people that are only competing on the, the world long drive tour, like you know your Kyle Berkshires, they'd be on the tour. They'd be winning tournaments if it was just about being able to hit the ball 385 yards consistently. Yeah, I think it always blew my mind. There was a guy, Jamie Zedlowski, he was like probably the poster child for being pretty lightly built, but being able to hit the ball well over 380, and he was a world long drive champion for many years in a row. And I always hear about him like going out and playing on like mini tours out west, and, and I would look at his results, and he was a solid golfer too, and he's just always like 75, 76, not making the cut. So I think that probably wraps it up. I think our decision is that you know distance and improvements to the game – are always going to be good for the game. It gets more viewers. It makes the game more exciting. Uh, so, you know, we're not we're not really in for any drawbacks. Uh, we just want to see the game get better and better. So that wraps it up for us here. If you haven't yet, head us over, head on over to Instagram, follow us on a Big Players Only Pod. Uh, check out our story. Lots going on there. And we'll catch you next time. Don't forget the TikTok, Ben. You just made a TikTok. We are making a TikTok, so that's coming up. 